filled with images of despair and violence. And then this morning, his body found at home, another casualty of success. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. All of you chumps are going to bow when I whip him. All of you, I know you got him. I know you got him picked. But the man's in trouble. I'm going to show you how great I am. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dead Icons podcast. I'm your host, Sean. And today, we will be taking a deep look at one of the most influential figures in Irish history as we examine the life of the big fella, Michael Collins. Was he the national hero he was made out to be, or was he a man destined for dictatorship? Did his political opponents conspire to murder him, or was he simply caught out for not having the military experience that the many books and films about his life would have you believe? And is there any way to the rumours regarding his sexuality? We'll do our best to get to the bottom of these questions and more, and to do that, I'm joined by one half of the Political Incorrectors, Mr. Luke Cassidy. Sean, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honour. Welcome to the show. I suppose we'll get straight into it. Um, when do you think was the, the first time you came across Michael Collins? Like, what was your first memory of him, I suppose? Yeah, so like most people, first time I found out who Michael Collins was, was probably watching the famous Neil Jordan movie, mm. Michael Collins. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. That, the, I don't like that movie, but... Mm-hmm. Brilliant casting. Some cast. Alan Brilliant Rickman. casting. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Br- brilliant movie. Um, kind of watched that, I'd say, first time when I was like eight or nine. I think it's on like every St. Patrick's Day. I watched it then. Yeah. I thought, wow, this one is really cool. You know, you get that like Republican. Radicalized boost. from a young age. Yeah. You're like, we need to get those counties back. You know, like <laughs> you're, you're gone on a mad boost. Like, um, then I suppose watched it every year from then. Came obsessed with the movie. Could like, yeah. you know, I could t- tell the lines were coming. I'd be like speaking the lines as they came in the movie. Yeah. Um, sixth class first year got really interested in history so it took more of an interest in it kind of realized that the movie isn't you know there's a lot of inaccuracies there it's not really not a great source if you really want to learn about who michael collins was so i started to read like biographies books about michael collins you know looking him up on the internet finding out more about him and just became interested in him and who he actually was because um as i'm sure we'll find out in this conversation it's hard to know who he actually was as opposed to who he is now because of his legacy or whatever i think that's one of the best things about him is that in a weird way and one of the big things i want to do with this podcast a lot of the people i have on a list to do a lot of them died i suppose you could say young mm-hmm. i know michael collins wasn't exactly i think he was into his well into his 30s 31 anyway. 31 okay mm-hmm. so still quite young yeah but um this idea that when somebody dies before their time this mm-hmm. the mystery that follows them afterwards yeah i always find it so interesting and i think there's in an Irish point context, that's so true with mm-hmm. Collins. Like he, he's such a kind of, there's so much myth around him. Yeah. More so than saying, obviously De Valera lived on, became president, you know, other people that um, would have been involved in the revolutions, obviously didn't have the same image no. that Collins had. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd probably be the same as you. The first memory, I have two kind of first memories. One being obviously the movie but another being uh, as i was saying to you before we started a life-sized almost portrait of michael collins in my grandmother's my grandparents house i suppose in mayo but what i remember being is that there was obviously outside like kind of family pictures there was three photos um 
in the house. Mary Robinson, Jesus, <laughs> and then Michael Collins. And the biggest of all of them was <laughs> Michael Collins. <laughs> of course. Um, but I kind of remember, because obviously the picture is that kind of, I'd say almost everyone knows it. It's him standing almost to attention, I suppose, in the full army uniform. Yeah. And my first memory, my dad was in the army. My first thought was at like six or seven. Is that some old picture of dad from before <laughs> they had color or something? Like <laughs> but um, no, I was told very quickly, no, 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 no. That's, that's Michael Collins. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck around with that. Like, that's How Michael Collins. You? Yeah. <laughs> How dare you compare your father to Michael Collins? Yeah. But um, another one then, a... Um, how would you put it? A very Republican uh, primary school teacher had in third class kind of introduces to the idea of kind of revolutionary leaders. But the memory I have is actually firstly a part Pierce. We were getting, um, obviously we had the weekly spelling sheet mm-hmm. and we had the Irish ones, but the Irish ones used to have a picture above them to kind of help you along. Yeah. And one of them was we were doing subjects. Mm-hmm. So like in Irish, so you had Berla, I can't remember the rest of them. Yeah. And then under above star was that trademark picture of Pierce, mm-hmm. kind of the jawline. Yeah, looking kind of to the side, the side profile of Pierce. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he went. I I remember the class being completely disrupted for a half hour spiel about you know how important these people were and right. Collins and De Valera and Conley mm. and Pierce were all kind of held in such high regard and then i remember actually i think we we were doing history but very little mm-hmm. of it and it was we were kind of on a particular topic that was thrown out the window for the next couple of weeks and it was kind of 1916 a very brief look at yeah and kind of the 1920 1919 to 1921 a brief look at mm-hmm. but it was just what struck me was similar to in my grandparents as the kind of reverence that was held around his name he mm-hmm. was it was kind of a godlike deity kind of yeah. figure. This guy, you know, did so much for us. Um, but like you said, a lot of mystery surrounding his image and the kind of person he was. Yeah. So we'll start off there with his early life. He was born in Clonakilty, Cork, on the 16th of October, 1890. And one of the first things that stood out to me was the age of his parents. Mm-hmm. His father was 60 and his mother was 23 when he was born mm-hmm. was was that common or was that yeah i i can't imagine i mean it just that really like the first time i read a book about michael collins that's on like the first few pages and that immediately like what his father was 60 and his yeah. mother was 23 um it can't have been normal um i think his his father had a, a wife previously okay so, so like a like second... second wife type thing i thought that had um, been very uh that had been looked down upon surely at that well, time uh, I think if your wife died, okay, there was yeah, a kind of yeah. understanding that you could maybe have another wife. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there was a double standard as well for women. Oh, completely. Women oh, yeah. Them. It was very much a case of, uh, oh, we can re- remarry, but no, 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 yeah. no. That would be disrespectful for you two. Mm-hmm, of course, um, yeah. Typical uh, Catholic Ireland. Yeah. But um, <laughs> his dad died when he was six. Mm-hmm. Well, he was old. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. You kind of say that and you go, okay, but his dad was 66. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of... What happened up next in his life, I think, is hugely important mm-hmm. in where, in the role he plays in the War of Independence. He left school at 15 and took the British Civil Service exam. Mm-hmm. 
in Cork in February of 1906 and then moved to London where he became a boy clerk in the post office savings bank at Blythe House. Mm-hmm. So one of the kind of, I will touch more later on, but administration seemed to kind of be his forte. That was kind of what he was oh, yeah. really good at. He knew, you know, send money here, send people mm-hmm. there, have these people paid on this day, mm-hmm. you know, keep the accounts. Like he obviously later went on to become the Minister of Finance. Mm-hmm. But you just, I think it's so interesting where you kind of look at what he was doing kind of up to around 1913. And in the years leading up to the East Horizon, which we touched in a minute, he was a financial advisor for Count Plunkett. Yeah. You know, see, you look at this and there's, how would you put it? There's, there's a mold forming for him. It's yeah. kind of. He's not shaping his destiny, but he he's being shaped into mm. the type of person, the type of leader he that he would yeah. become. Um, but when he was living in London, then joined the London GA and through this, through the Sam Maguire, yeah, was recruited into the IRB. They actually reckon that. So, like when he was in London and he's involved in the GAA, someone sworn him into the IRB. IRB. They reckon it was Sam Maguire, but it could be Patrick Belton either. And just a little Longford connection. Patrick Belton is from Longford, so it could have been a Longford man who swore him into the... Mm, our neighbour's name is uh, Keenan Liam Belton. <laughs> well, would you look at that? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, they reckon Patrick Belton could have sworn him into the IRB because he was a member of the oh, Geraldine's club, GA club, when he was club secretary there and then he was sworn in. It, that's the funny thing about Irish history is that you kind of, you hope it, you go... I'm sure I know that name. Yeah. And you, you trace it back and it's like, it's your fucking second cousin or something. There you or, go. Yeah, you know, you your never mate's know. uncle. Like, it's so fucking weird. But, um, like, even at this fuck, I don't want to fucking say names, but there's so many people that used to be in the rock. <laughs> it's fucking like, <laughs> in Newtown, it's fucking ridiculous. But, um, I'm going to have to cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then again, in 1915, um, he moved to work with the Guarantee Trust Company of New York, where he remained until he returned to Ireland. Um, but like again, it's just... Uh, he's been trained to organise. Yeah. Like, without, without even thinking, he's been trained to, you know, have people at certain places at certain times, mm-hmm. have money, have resources, have, you know, get stuff sorted. Yeah. Which plays a huge role then in the kind of the lead up to 1916 and later on the rise. And so you have some stuff on 1916. Yes, so I'll take it from 1916, I suppose. So as you said, he moved to Dublin in uh, 1916, took part in the rising, marched from Liberty Hall. Um, he was aide de camp to Joseph Plunkett, who was sick at the time. He had TB, so obviously he needed an extra hand with the fighting in the GPO. So Michael Collins gave him a hand there. Um, arrested like most people were after the rising and he narrowly avoided execution was, actually was, did you hear the story this yes. is hilarious Go he was on. kind of in the well I might have it, hopefully have it right now but yeah. he was in he was in one line um, that was going to be a young group of people that was going to be executed and he just happened to move over to another line when he kind of heard rumblings about John it was he heard his name being called Osta. and he went over somebody obviously was like saying Michael Collins yeah as in like not as in like you come here as in yeah you're going to kill him next is it yeah and he moved to here where the voice was and moved into the line of people that was going to be sent to Frangok. yeah which is fucking Imagine. mad and like that shows history like it can just like that's what could but- it be? that's butterfly shit like that's butterfly effects yeah stuff. that's like one tiny little decision and then you have mm-hmm. 
like spiraling out but um go on see so, how so yeah narrowly avoids death obviously um is sent to frongok in wales a uh, uh, prison camp that was the, they had germans in it before they cleared it out of germans and made way for the irish people he was there uh, a very active member of the camp there he was kind of he was an organizer i think he was like the camp secretary um lots of irb men you know physical force nationalists they made a good network there which would kind of help them in the years to come and in the kind of power vacuum around after 90 obviously the signatories bar, like all the leaders, bar De, De Valera, yeah. Countess Markovich, and I think there's one other that escaped execution. Mm. Um, I can't think of his name now, but there's a power vacuum there. Yeah, all of them wiped out. Yeah, yeah. so now yeah. you kind of have a lot of, somebody needs to step forward. De Valera is yeah. in prison for quite a while, mm-hmm. and Collins is, is is on the ground. He yeah. is where the, the ground troops were. He's mm-hmm. where all the, IRB men are mm-hmm. and he starts organizing he starts you know he he had um he organized a protest of non-compliance yeah with the guards and it was also kind of pushing for political prisoner yeah. status mm-hmm. so instantly again you see this kind of we're going to keep pushing this this organizing yeah he's an organizer mm-hmm. and that's a team that's going to come up isn't Completely. it because it's not again really, and again when you watch again. that movie you don't see him as someone who likes to sit down with his pens and his paper yeah. and organise his things. A man after yeah. your own heart. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've a good pen and paper. Uh, but sure, we'll get to that, definitely. Yeah. Um, so he's in Frongok. He's released that year in December. There was a bit of agitation to release the political prisoners. Released, gets back. Just, uh, what was the idea behind that? Was, this, was it Lloyd George who was like, will we let them go and they may be... I'm pretty sure, I don't know for sure, but there was definitely political pressure around the issue. Okay. And they, I think they just wanted mainly to avoid more trouble in Ireland, like they knew there was something brewing, so it probably made more sense to uh, bring them back. And of course, there was, there was war as well, which yeah. probably wasn't a priority for them. And maybe they needed the camp for more Germans to bring <laughs> yeah, them over. there's every chance of that, they were just like, hang on, these boys aren't fucking worth the time, <laughs> yeah. send them home. <laughs> yeah. So look, he gets back to Ireland then, 1917. Of course, there's the by-election in North Roscommon. Count Plunkett, his old pal, is elected. Um, it's kind of a watershed moment. Uh, Collins himself gets a job in Dublin. Surprise, surprise, more admin. He works for like a, it's like a veterans fund to... Um, He's employed by Joseph Plunkett's wife, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. But uh, the historian I was listening to, Joe Connell, he's an Irish-American, and he actually, one of the things he said, which I found hilarious before he completely moved off the rising was, Collins did not fire a weapon mm-hmm. in the Rising. Mm-hmm. He apparently had hurt his arm or like sprained his arm <laughs> yeah. in the days or weeks leading up to it, so he couldn't hold a gun. Mm. Which, like, That's again, the opening scene in the movie is him fucking shooting, out dodging the fire, yeah. you know, returning fire. It's, no, no, <laughs> he was somewhere organizing people, yeah, sending people to certain places. His notebook out, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, but, um, so 1917 still, he becomes a supreme, uh, a member of the IRB Supreme Council, which is obviously the head honchos, the lads that are going to run the show for the next few years. He's in there. Uh, becomes secretary of the Supreme Council when Thomas Ashe died on hunger strike. Um, and that year he was also elected to the national executive of Sinn Féin. And the IRB made a real conscious effort to kind of infiltrate Sinn Féin and make sure there were IRB people there, like they did with the GAA and most other organisations. They're really in there as like a sort of secret society got in there 1918 then he becomes involved in the irish volunteers which obviously eventually morphs into the ira um he's also arrested that year in dublin and here comes another longford reference for giving a seditious speech in longford 
So he's been very seditious in Longford. Really? Uh, yeah, in Lega in Longford. He um, he was in Banalee. I think he met up with Sean McKeown. It was all got to do with Thomas Ashe and his yeah. hunger strike and his death. Um, gave a speech in Lega, I think potentially in the church or the community hall. And obviously it was a bit too seditious for the police. So they reported it to the, the cops up in Dublin, the DMP. Yeah. And uh, he was arrested under the Defel- Defence of the Realm Act. Uh, which is very yeah, they, British imperial They had great term. names for acts yeah. back then, really, didn't they? Defense of the realm. Yeah, so we're de- they were defending the realm and they arrested <laughs> Michael and um, they sent him to Sligo Jail, spent some time in Sligo Jail and he got out on bail, thank God. From Sligo Jail. Yes, he got out of Sligo. <laughs> and uh, that year he was elected in the South Cork constituency in the general election, unopposed as the Sinn Féin candidate. I actually, was he elected? He was elected, according to my notes now. I'm not a historian now, but uh, yeah, yeah. that's... Uh, I want to push that across. We are not historians. Yeah, this is very amateur. Disclaimer but, uh, now, yeah. this isn't. Um, 1918 was when Sinn Féin swept the board. Yeah. So, you know, he would have... Well, I actually, court. I was reading yesterday... Um, the idea, I didn't know, I, I had kind of, I think we'd obviously done it in history, mm. but I'd, I'd forgotten about it. The idea that Labour just were like, yeah, go on. Yeah. And step back completely because they mm-hmm. obviously held still quite a lot of political power. They were the, Absolutely. the working class. And one of the, um, as our friend Eric likes to say, you can't eat the flag. Well, it's a John <laughs> Hume, but it's, it's a favorite line of just his. Eric. Yeah, it's Eric's line. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of the, biggest kind of reasons for um how would you say it for the kind of trouble and for the unrest in ireland was the fact that they were the biggest slums in europe yeah there was serious poverty Mm -hmm. there was serious um child mortality rates you know there was no very little employment and up the north where you know the brits had i won't say more of an interest but there was more allegiance to mm-hmm. Britain than there would have been in Dublin yeah. or in Cork or Galway or places like that um, there was quite healthy employment they were the powerhouse of the state at the time that was the economic powerhouse they had the wolf and all the industry yeah what's Har- it Harlan wolf and, 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 and wolf mm. uh, shipyards mm. um, so it was quite interesting that Labour were like no 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 we'll, we'll let you take this one yeah they saw it coming. Yeah. You know, they, I think they saw it was coming, the tide for Sinn Féin. They knew what they wanted. Yeah. Um, and I guess, and who knows, look, there was probably some IRB lads found their way into Labour. And this is just me speculating yeah. now, but th- this is what they were at. They were infiltrating different organisations. They infiltrating everything. Yeah. They were everywhere, is right. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's probably what happened. Um, so Michael's elected to the, do- to the, the as an MP anyway. Yeah. And of course, the following year in 1919, January, the doll meets for the first time himself is there he becomes minister for home affairs in the doll cabinet didn't know that actually he was minister for home affairs uh first really um yeah there you go so he was the affairs of the home which is kind of like we don't use that term anymore no. they kind of do so in the uk the home secretary looks okay. after kind of um the police uh security oh, right. is that what it is? intelligence yeah. so they're yeah. kind of over like the ideas of um MI6 and exactly. Scotland Yard, that kind of stuff yeah. in intelligence, in kind England. of defending, yeah, the, not minister defen- for defense, mind mind in the house, mind in the house is right, <laughs> making sure there's no dodgy stuff going on, yeah. Um, that's what he was doing that year. He also helped, which is obviously a big deal. Uh, Eamon de Valera escaped from Lincoln Jail, went over, helped Dev get out. There was a few bit of fiddling around with keys, as you yeah. saw in the movie. That is, that's probably one of the best scenes in the movie where they dress him up. Uh, is, I don't know if that's true, but I, I hope I, it is. I'm pretty sure it's true. Yeah. They dressed him up as a prostitute. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, re- I did read that that was potentially that's true. It, the lines in that, though, like, the one thing I will say is that 
about the movie is that it, it can be quite funny. Oh, it is, yeah. Some definitely. of the things that Colin says, oh, the, but the lines... Riddling, that are, riddling lads of bullets. <laughs> I love that, yeah. <laughs> That's the riddle. They don't grow on trees. Yeah. What do they not grow on? <laughs> yes. Um, so Dev returns then to Ireland, obviously, and there's a big hurrah. Everyone's delighted that Dev Lair has returned. He's elected president of the Dáil, so he gets his... He's the, he's the man in charge now, then. What I read yesterday was there was a kind of a conflict around that, mm-hmm. um, in that the IRB had a different, I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, they have a different understanding or a different interpretation of the word what, of what president meant. Okay. And so, although Devil Dev obviously was successful, he kind of he pushed for to be made president, mm-hmm. but there was serious pushback from people within the IRB that were like, no, 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 we're kind of running the show here. Yeah. And... President, I think in the constitution the IRB had it was president of the IRB mm-hmm. is the rightful president of Ireland. Yeah, okay. And I don't think he was president of the IRB mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, there was somebody. There was Harry somebody, Boland, maybe was, might have been. Yeah. yeah, and so they were kind of like, you know, this is completely against what we stand for. Yeah. So there was a bit of pushback there. Obviously, he won it, mm-hmm. but I remember it kind of at one point it seemed to get quite close to like there was kind of friction around it. Yeah, an early civil war. Yeah. Was. And that's that's interesting because it kind of like, we kind of see the IRB and the, the kind of effort as like this like very professional setup. They were all together for the, the one goal. But obviously there was going to be tensions like that. Yeah. So that makes sense. And obviously like early on that might point to tensions between De Valera and Collins themselves because obviously we'll see that that's a... It's, yeah, that's it's a, a lot of what happens is this is ego. Yeah. A lot of it is lads' egos. Yeah. And like, both Eamon de Valera and Michael Collins. Oh, completely. Very big yeah, egos. yeah. But even all the other boys, like all the other boys, the lads. Uh, all the lads, <laughs> guys like um, Carl Brewer and Rory O'Connor. Yes. Michael Collins was somebody that seemed to be kind of. We'll get onto it more in a few minutes. It's it will, actually, yeah, we'll leave and we'll get onto it. But anyway, you were yeah. saying there. Yes. So uh, Dev is elected president of the doll. Uh, Michael Collins is then put in finance. I suppose they kind of realised over the few years there that you know this fella. He'd be funded the numbers and the organizing, so he'd be a good fellow to put in finance. Yeah. So he's there. Um, then De Valera and Boland head off to the United States, right? So Michael Collins replaces Boland as president of the IRB. There we have it. Okay, yeah, so he's put that's in place. Is, yeah, so that's that kind of that kind of gives him that boost in stature because yeah. he is officially the president of the IRB. He's leading the show, like you know. Yeah. Uh, De Valera are probably not too happy about that now. I'd no, say, even I though he's think. the one that wanted to head off to the United States and have his big. Hurrah! You know, go around all the cities. There's a lot of there's a lot of that from Neverland, and I don't like Bad Mountain because, uh, despite like he did do a lot for Ireland, mm. you know, you can argue about how effective it was, whatever. But like, he was a big and a very influential part in Irish history. Yeah, but there is a lot of this from. There's a lot of posturing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like we'll see later on. When we get towards the end of the War of Independence, the attack on the Customs House, mm-hmm. which very nearly blew it all up. Yeah, that near like there's something like there was seven IRA men killed and 80 seized and an outrageous number of arms Mm. taken as well so I think there was at the time they reckoned that Collins and the IRA could have held out for a couple of months and after that they were like we have a month yeah a month and we have nothing left wow so kind of wanting to be seen as legitimate Mm -hmm. very nearly fucked it all up for them but I just, it, you know, like we said, ego. Mm-hmm. It's a big part of this. That is just It's a big thing. And yeah. I think especially, as we'll see with Michael Collins, like it is a big thing with him. And, you know, the his kind fellow. of celebrity and stuff. Um, which we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, so he's president of the IRB. 
then he's, a, a, he's um, appointed director of intelligence of the Irish Volunteers, which is obviously defining feature of the War of Independence. He sets up the squad or the Twelve Apostles lads. Is that um, what they were called? The Twelve. That's the Twelve cool, Apostles. That's a cool name. Brilliant book by Tim Pat Coogan. The Twelve Apostles looks at just the Michael squad. Collins and the squad and how they went yeah. about their business. That is the coolest part of the movie. Oh, but and t- it's probably like the most like accurate because that's what they did. Like, yeah, you know, they literally they were fuck like. This is where I think. Um, is Collins' real strength mm-hmm. is that he understood we can't beat the British one-on-one. Yeah. We cannot go and form an army. We are not well-trained enough. We mm-hmm. don't have enough people. We don't have the weapons. We can't do it. Yeah. What we can do is we can make life so fucking mm-hmm. miserable for everyone outside the castle that people either don't want to be here mm-hmm. or they aren't here anymore. They're dead. Yeah. You know, we, we, that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you see it work like he completely, I think I have it here, Within about a year or so, by 1920, the mm-hmm. G Division had been destroyed. There you go. And the G Division, for anyone who doesn't know, was basically the intelligence division of the RIC. Mm-hmm. It dealt with informants within the Irish movement. He systematically goes through and is like, either go home or you will get a bullet. Yeah. And he just takes them off one by one and completely destroys the kind of intelligence infrastructure they have within Ireland, yeah. which is a massive part in winning the war mm-hmm. amazing i mean this is kind of why people say he's the man who won the war right because yeah. it's his tactics yeah. his guerrilla tactics that that won it and yes he had lads out shooting police officers but as well it comes back to collins the organizer like he had yeah. he had women spies in dublin castle in post offices across the country who were looking for letters and documents yeah. that could lead him to people to execute next or and he ran all that from his yeah. office you know one of his best tactics i saw i think this is fantastic is that he would have somebody at ports mm-hmm. who, when British soldiers arrived, would go, oh, do you want a picture, sir? <laughs> and he would there, he would take a picture and he'd obviously, whatever he did, he, he, I'm not sure was it, I think the picture was then sent into the paper. Okay. And it was kind of like, oh, look, you know, we have the names of these three. This is what they look like. Face. Yeah. 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 So like, it's this marking them down straight mm-hmm. away they're in the country a couple of minutes he's like i know where who you are i know where you live yeah i know how i can get to you mm-hmm. like he was a spy he was yeah. a spy like he was mm-hmm. that he was an organizer and a spy and he knew how to kind of how important intelligence was yes to both the ira the irb and to the british mm-hmm. which isn't talked about enough isn't kind of given enough credence he's he's uh, we'll get onto it in a few minutes. I keep going to jump the No, head. you're you're grand. No, absolutely. Like that's that's what won the war. You know, like it really is. And I, I think there's a few people who would disagree with that. That you know that kind of guerrilla war tactics that he spearheaded won it. And like that inspired Ho Chi Minh. Um, there was the Zionist leader of Israel. I think Yitzhak Shamir or something. His code name in his uh, in his war and in his activities was Michael. After Michael no Collins. Way. Yes. That's class. I have his name somewhere here now. I'm trying to find it. I think it's Yitzhak Shamir. He was like a Zionist um, kind of civil war type fella in Israel. His co- he was inspired by the kind of, you know, jump out of a bush and shoot a fella yeah, type thing. Yeah. And his code name during that conflict was Michael after Michael Collins. That's cool. Which is really cool. Yeah. You know, like he literally inspired. Um, yeah. And you see that a lot of time in insurgencies. Mm. Kind of this idea that, you know... Like you said, Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, we're not going to wear uniforms and we're going to fight you in the fields where we grew up. So good luck. 
Yeah. Like we know this area like the back of our hand. Mm-hmm. So, and we're not going to play by your rules. We're going to choose when we fight you, yeah. how we fight you. We're going to pick the battleground. And a lot of the kind of, the insurgency tactics and the kind of national freedom, you see kind of going through the 20th century of people fighting against British rule, yeah. against different kind of colonizing powers. You kind of trace their tactics mm-hmm. back towards Collins. Yeah. Because he understood you pick the battle. We pick the battle. Mm-hmm. We pick the area, which, yeah, is hugely important. And it was completely at odds with what other people wanted to do because you know you name De Valera who really wanted those big spectacles like take over the GPO yeah. and these big tactics. There was there was not to get too into it, but we might get to this later as well. There was Carl Rua who wanted to execute the entire British yeah, cabinet. Yeah, Colin I saw said, the no, gesture. No, that's a terrible that. idea because yeah. he was like that. That swings uh, sympathy back in their favor. Yeah. We take the people that are on our turf, that are on our land, mm-hmm. that are trying to get us. That's who, that's who we take. We yeah. don't go and you know shoot politicians in their homes. That's exactly. what that's what the British do. Yeah, we let them do that stuff, mm-hmm. and we stick to intelligence services. We stick to people on mm-hmm. Irish soil, yeah. which is admirable, really, when you think about. It. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, there's a lot of people at the time would have said there was kind of an underhanded tactic, but. Mm. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> it did work. It definitely worked. Um, look, geez, you could talk for 40 yeah. minutes about, you know, his warfare, his guerrilla warfare, the, the squad. Yeah. The last bit I want to touch on, though, is the Cairo gang, because this is the coolest part. This is yes. the coolest part of the movie. Mm-hmm. It was so well, co- like, by ni- they leave at nine, they start at nine. By 10 o'clock, there are 15 people have been shot dead, mm-hmm. nine of the British officers, um, six of whom were confirmed intelligence agents. Agents. Mm-hmm. And then two court martial officers and one staff officer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have there in the space of an hour, you have an entire intelligence division wiped. Yeah. Like the timing, like we said, the planning, the organization that had to go into that. Yeah, it's amazing. And that that kind of scene, like it, it does seem like something out of an action movie. Like, like that's not impossible to get around a city and kill that amount of people yeah. in that period of time. Know exactly where they're going to be. Yeah. Um, and for it to be small enough, like t- 12 uh, people in the squad, Michael Collins, a few spies, they did that in Dublin City and wiped out what could have destroyed the war effort for them, you know? Amazing. Again, a defining feature of the war. Like, if it yeah. didn't happen, what could have happened? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so I think, are we coming coming towards the end of the... I, I'm nearly there now. Okay, yeah, we're, we're still going. So we had the squad, and then... At that time as well, so he's Minister for Finance, he launches the Dáil Loan, which is a big deal as well, and kind of goes on, like, when you look at the warfare, it's not as sexy, but he launched the Dáil, the Dáil Loan, which is a way of fundraising, basically, for the, the underground government, and um, got people across the country to donate £10, £5, £100 to the Dáil to finance their efforts in setting up, you know, courts across the country, the war effort, Um I presume with the intention of eventually giving the money back as a kind of bond, yeah. but raising that money eventually. And it was hugely successful yeah. across the country. Posters put up in every town village uh, across the country. He sort of hand wrote letters to people he thought could be good fundraisers. Yeah. Um, and if the, the money the wasn't there, touch. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, knew exactly, yeah. he knew how to play people. He knew he how really to... Did. Joe Connell describes him as a deal maker. Yeah. He knew what to say. He'd be saying like... He'd say one thing to one person and another thing to another person, but he'd convince both people, you know, oh no, he, he believes what I think. He's just saying it to the other fella. Yeah. But he, like, he He's knew, a politician. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you were saying. 
Sinead, yeah, that was that, that's what I think that leaves me at nineteen nineteen. But yeah, he like made loads of money for the dog, which mm. obviously they needed. And especially with the uh, you're saying about the courts, mm-hmm. um, he was also kind of the push behind telling people not to go to the British courts, mm-hmm. go to Irish courts. Yeah, which basically the kind of the infrastructure within the British kind of legal system grounds to halt in Ireland. Yeah, because like people are like, well, I don't recognize it. They just don't show up. They just don't show yeah. up. You have like you know you can't put somebody in jail who's just like I'm not going yeah you know and it's a lot easier to hide I would say back in those days mm-hmm. you can probably just like you know unless they have a really good photo of you yeah, you can yeah. just move county and you're grand <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know which I, I, I find gas like yeah. the fact that they the fact they had no picture of him mm-hmm. for the entire the war of independence yeah is insane mm-hmm. like this guy is literally running around directing fire at British security, like uh, intelligence agents, mm. and it's like I, we haven't a clue what he looks like. Yeah, chatting to them at checkpoints. Yeah, that the, the scene where you, he gets your man to light his cigarette <laughs> is hilarious. Yeah. It's just like the balls on him. Yeah, and you probably reckon he probably did something similar to that. I'd well believe it. Look, he cycled around Dublin on his bike. I mean, yeah. he wasn't exactly trying to sneak in through sewers or something, yeah. you know. Well, he did sneak into the fucking uh, <laughs> Tucker Castle. Yeah, yeah. Which again. That's one part of the movie that's actually true. Mm-hmm. He got your man Ned Bright to let him in the back door and was yeah. just like, oh yeah, his name's John Grace. <laughs> just going yeah. to look through some files. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but, um, so that's pretty much the end of the war of independence. The treaty negotiations. Now this is where things start to, yeah. start to fall apart in a way for Collins. Mm-hmm. He sent over as one of the, I can't pronounce it. Plenipotentiaries. Plenipotentiaries. Thank you. Plenipotentiaries um, by De Valera. Do you think, was he sent over as a scapegoat, do so, you think? I am biased yeah. because I'm a massive Collins fan, also a Fine Gael person, yeah. so I kind of fall into that vein of things. But like looking at it objectively and considering what I've learned through reading and stuff, Eamon de Valera went over to London to meet Lloyd George before the negotiations ever met in front of his fireplace in number 10 Downing Street. And had this conversation uh, before the treaty negotiations started. Presumably they spoke about the treaty and what was going to happen after the war. I think in that conversation that he had in London, he found out that he's not going to get what he wants. He's not going to get 32 counties of Ireland. Um, he's not going to walk into the room and get absolutely everything Eamon de Valera Now who's the conspiracy theorist? Well, <laughs> there's a historian, this, is, there are, this isn't just me. Like, I know, yeah, I know, I know. Um, Tim Pakugan, it's in his uh, biography yeah. of Michael Collins. Oh, I'd well believe it. I'd well, yeah. like, like, there is obviously evidence that he was over there. Like, he was kind of discussing the terms which the negotiations would take place under. Yeah. So the terms, terms of reference. Yeah, the terms of ceasefire as well, I suppose. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's definitely believable. Like, I, I definitely think that he, he, he kind of understood I'm not, yeah, like you said, I'm not getting what I want. And his argument was that he was the president of the Republic, so he needed to stay in Ireland as president. That didn't bother him when he was heading off to America US, with right. Harry having the crack, like, yeah. fundraising and meeting the, trying to meet the president. Um, when that worked in his favour. Um, I, I really think that he didn't know what he was going to get. Saw Michael Collins as a threat to his leadership, to his stature. Thought, I'll send Michael younger. Um great politician great organiser but maybe he doesn't have that political negotiation experience he might crumble sends Michael along with Arthur and the rest and yeah, he, he doesn't take responsibility yeah and it, like I think in a way 
I wonder, do you kind of know I'm going to force Michael's hand here? Because now Michael's face is plastered all over every newspaper in England Mm -hmm. and Ireland. Yeah. Everybody knows now this is what Michael Collins looks like, despite Mm -hmm. his best attempts to grow a mustache. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Like, he, he can't go back to what he was doing. Yeah. So if this starts again, like, it's kind of forcing his hand in a way. Yeah. It's like, either we get what we want, mm-hmm. or Collins is out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Because the very first person, if conflicts break out again, the very first person that's going to be targeted for assassination mm-hmm. will be Michael Collins. Yeah. He will be caught and he'll be killed. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I think it's a two birds, he goes, and no matter what, I probably, I don't come off badly in this. Yeah. You know, um, but obviously we won't go to the terms of the treaty they'll obviously be debated in Ireland for the rest <laughs> of time. Uh, partition of the ports, the oath, uh, the idea of the free state. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was a big part that came out of it was Colin's idea that no matter what, I'm going to work the treaty. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to use it as a stepping stone to full independence. I think that was his, uh, his direct quote. Mm-hmm. It's a stepping stone to... Towards freedom. To, think, towards yeah. freedom. That's yeah. it, yeah. Um a tactic which Eamon de Valera basically spent the 30s and 40s doing. Yeah. It's like he, you know, he, he ends up doing exactly what Collins suggested. Exactly. In the end. Yeah. But look, this isn't a fucking de Valera podcast, so we'll leave him alone. Um, I don't want to go too deeply into Civil War because, it, number one, it is so contentious still yeah. in Ireland and I'm not going to fucking say something. Um but what I found quite interesting and which isn't said a lot is the North. Yeah. And Collins' involvement in the North. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about the arms scheme he had set up? I've heard bits and pieces but again it's not something that is, is spoke about not, but yeah. he, he was very keen to agitate in the North yes. and to kind of undermine the arrangements that were put in place for... He gave Owen O'Duffy um, mm. a blessing basically to set up what was called the Ulster Council mm-hmm. which is basically a division of I'm assuming the IRA yeah um the free state ira whatever mm-hmm. um or the basic of the free, i think i think what he did was i uh, see it's very hard to understand because it's so convoluted and there's so many fucking names yeah and you start looking into it there's different leaders from you know both the north and the south mm-hmm. um but basically it was kind of he brought people from the ira and was like i want to set up a division where we get arms up to the north mm-hmm. and we basically cause fucking havoc yeah and what he was doing was he was getting arms from the British to fight the anti-treaties. Mm-hmm. He was giving he was giving those arms to the anti-treaties in exchange for the old arms they had, which could not be traced, mm-hmm. and sending those old arms up the north. Wow! So he was basically getting untraceable guns, yeah, and sending them to anti-treatyites. Or basically to the IRA in the north. Yeah, wow. Which... Sneaky. <laughs> very sneaky. Yeah. But the scenes that I find gas is like an honour amongst thieves. Mm. It's like... The anti-treat... Like, the anti-treaty... It's good to just gone like... To the British... He's broken the terms of the treaty. Yeah. You know. And, and could have used that as a... A reason or an excuse mm. to start... The War of Independence again. Yeah. But they didn't. They kind of seem to kind of keep shush about it yeah. but like which I find so weird because they could have just that would have been so helpful to their cause yeah. to kind of throw Collins under the bus and be like he's broken the terms of the deal mm. so and I reckon I have a feeling the Brits had an idea because I think then towards the 
about a couple of months before his death, he asked for another shipment of arms, but from the British, <laughs> and the British like, nah, <laughs> yeah, you're grand. <laughs> Where the fuck are these guns no going? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I, we'll kind of skip through the civil war in the north because um, you get bogged down. We could be here for hours talking about both, rabbit I think. holes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, we get into his death. Um, have you any on this? Well, he got he Ben LeBlanc, uh August nineteen twenty two. Yeah, twenty second of August, yeah. Um convoy through Cork, he leaves from Dublin, stops in a few places before he gets to Cork. Um and there's a big out ambush basically. Um inter- obviously anti treaty IRA men up on top of the hill at Ben LeBlanc start shooting down at the convoy. Um interestingly, Michael Collins is the only person on the pro treaty side who dies in the ambush. Yeah. Um which, you know, there's always a debate about was it an ambush or was it an assassination? I think if it's only Michael Collins that dies, I think it points to it being an assassination. Really? Do you think so? Well, I think there's more, like, there, there was, what, 12 people there? With, but can with I point Michael? out something to you? This, I would have been the same. Yeah. I was saying, I've been like, it's a bit suspicious that Collins only felt a shot. Yeah. His behavior at the ambush is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So number one, what he does is the car he's journeying in is an open top car. Mm-hmm. He is driving in an open top car through grilla infested cork, yeah. which is a funny sentence to say. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, cork <laughs> such a childish thing to laugh at. I was listening to podcasts and there was an American fella saying grilla infested cork. I was just like, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> but um, he journeyed down to basically a military inspection. Mm-hmm. But I think also that he was trying to meet with the IRA. Kind of, I think he was trying to get money back that they'd stolen or something. Um, something. Negotiations. Yeah. Or... But I have down here. He was killed due to stupidity. Because I'm sorry. Number one, there's rumours he was drunk. Yeah. Number two, Emmett Dalton, I think it was, said when a fire was opened, let's get the fuck out of here. And he's like, no, we'll stay and fight. Yeah. And number three, he left the cover of the... Um, of the car mm-hmm. and moves out onto the open road yeah. and starts shooting back. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where I want to stress. He was not a military man. Yeah, exactly. He was not a soldier. He had not been trained. Yeah. And it is so abundantly clear in mm-hmm. this. That's what I kind of think. Like, I, I was very much of the opinion, like, it had to be an assassination. It mm. had to be anti-treatment. But when you look and you go, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, and that's a great point because he's, yeah. he stood up. Like, I think it was it was Tom Barry or someone said, um, paraphrasing obviously, yeah. a soldier doesn't stand up when there's an ambush. Yeah. And you, know? you don't stay in the kill zone. Yeah. You get the fuck out of where they're firing. Mm-hmm. Like, the entire thing of the War of Independence, as we've kind of pointed out, was the IRA, the RB, whatever, go, we pick the battlefield. Mm-hmm. We pick the time, we pick the place. Yeah. We do not let someone else decide where we fight. Mm-hmm. And Collins goes, we're going to let these boys decide where we fight. They're on top of a hill. We're standing at the bottom yeah. of it. Let's stay here and fight for the mm-hmm. crack. And then he just goes, right, I'm going to stand on the road. Yeah. And it didn't really work, did it? Because no, he, he died. died. Unfortunately. <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing. No, we shouldn't it's laugh. Poor, poor Michael. Yeah. But that's it, you know. And look, uh, you, that's, I actually forgot about that. Like, they do reckon he was absolutely polluted. Because uh, yeah, he had been stopping in, in pubs throughout Cork. Through his little tour, he was stopping yeah. in different villages and stuff, and he was in a number of pubs to meet people. Yeah, and he's Rate, probably rating, well on it, like rating pints, like yeah, <laughs> he's pretty well on it by the time he got to bed. Yeah, it's just like you think about it, you just so unnecessary. Yeah, 
Like the fact that he was the only person that was killed in the ambush makes you think it probably wasn't the best ambush. Yeah. Because from what I heard, apparently they were taking down the ambush. Because oh. they'd been waiting. Like he's killed I at think I heard, yeah. half seven, eight o'clock in the mm-hmm. evening. So they've been there all day and they're like, okay, he's probably not coming. And they're starting to dismantle the ambush and they're starting to head away. Mm. And then they hear the car coming and they go, oh, that's Collins' car and they open fire. So I think at the time there was only a number of soldiers, like in the movie they painted it's the middle of the day mm-hmm. and, you know, they catch them at just the right time. But yeah. them boys are probably like heading away, hear the car, you know, yeah. it's Ireland in the 1920s, <laughs> the car is a rare fucking sight. Yeah. And they're like, right, back down. And they start, they open fire. Mm. So it's like, it was obviously quite a bad ambush. Yeah. But it was just a mixture of luck and stupidity. Yeah. Unfortunate, really. really is. Uh, and in the movie, you're just like, just get down, will you? Literally yeah. Get down. But, obviously. Like, but in the movie, he's kind of, it looks like he's kind of moving from people, like telling people what to do. Yeah. Like, whereas in reality, you it's for the other lads telling him what yeah. to do. Michael, sit the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. You can't stand. Like, what's you just lie down on the floor and we'll <laughs> yeah. deal with it. Yeah. Everything's spinning. Yeah. Of course it is, Michael. You've hit nine pints. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but um, I suppose we move on to and uh, part. I think that you have quite a lot to say on the, the image. Yes, of Michael Collins. Okay, yeah. So this is this is massive. this is going to be controversial. Contro- <laughs> well, maybe controversial. Yeah. So look, I mean, we have this image of Michael Collins. So he look, he dies, and then he goes into the he's he's a hero for forever. Still is. Yeah. Um. There's you know was he a soldier? Was he an organizer? There's all this debate. Uh, but I think it's interesting to look at his, his personal life because it's not something that's spoke about much outside of warfare and everything yeah. else. So we might look at that maybe. Um, I suppose personal life, he was a practicing Catholic. Um, apparently told Kitty in his letter, Kitty Kiernan, who he got um, yeah, engaged to, to yeah. another Longford reference, was a, a Longford woman. She was from Granard really? in Longford. Did you not know that? No, I didn't. She's from Granard. Kitty Kiernan is from Granard. Yeah. Oh. So she's a Longford woman. He's engaged to herself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just uh, very quickly. Julia Roberts' character in fucking in the movie is hilarious. Yeah. There's one scene where she starts off with the Cork accent, <laughs> right? Moves to having... Actually, you know, think of it. You know the speech where he gets hit at the start, or he mo- like he, where he first meets Kitty? Yes. Are they in Longford then? They are. It's the train station. Sure, the train... That's, oh, fuck. That's Longford. In the movie? Yes. Which is the, like where uh, Ned Bry is watching him and he's kind of... Yes. I did not know that. And the seemingly the scene where the the car and the sheep that seemingly that was shot in Longford as well. Really? Yeah. There Fuck! I had no clue. Longford, it's just everywhere, lads. <laughs> um, but what I find gas about Julie Roberts' character is she starts off with a Cork accent. Yeah. Halfway through, she gets a Northern Irish accent. <laughs> then she gets a Dublin accent, and you're just like, "Come on now, pickle in, <laughs> Miss Miss International, <laughs> pickle in." Yeah, she's everywhere. But you were saying anyway, Kitty Kieran. Engaged to Katie Kiernan um, in 1922. They were supposed to be married. Obviously didn't get it because uh, he died. And that's kind of like, if you look at uh, most history books, uh, if you listen to most people speak about Michael Collins, it's him in his relationship with Katie Kiernan. That's it. But in recent years, there have been questions about Michael Collins's sexuality, which is a very interesting thing, yeah. a topic. And you could spend a whole podcast talking about this because it's like, how do we write history and how are certain aspects of people written out of history? Yeah. Because the same things have been said about Pork Pierce, for example. Um, there are people who reckon that Michael Collins was gay um, and have you know, mentioned that as a speculation about his sexuality. Um, one thing that kind of kicked this off was David Norris, Senator David Norris. I'm yes. sure most people know him. 
wrote in his autobiography that he met an old man who said that he had been a boyfriend of Michael Collins 50 years earlier. And after he heard that, David Norris said it to a prominent historian who isn't named. Um, but that historian said that this was widely known informally in Republican yes, circles. Yes, I heard that, that yeah. That it, it, was, it was kind of common knowledge that he was That he was, he was gay. gay. But um, it's, it, it, I think as well, I'm trying to find it here. I had it earlier that a great grandnephew... Uh, Came to the conclusion after. Yeah, but yeah. after reading... Um, I'm trying to... Piras Beasley. Beasley. Is that how you pronounce his name? I don't Beasley. have a clue. It's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Biography. A grandnephew of Collins told me, well, this is the writer in the Irish Examiner, that he concluded that Michael Collins was gay. Yeah. Um, now, but when he mentioned this to his grandfather, Michael's older brother, his grandfather just laughed and said that if Michael had a problem, it was not that he was not fond of women. Yeah. Now, this could well just be the... Brushing under the carpet. You don't yeah. know about it. Kind of, yeah, like the oh no, just he was awful fond of women, like yeah. But where I guarantee you, if he sat and looked at her, hmm, hang on a second, yeah. And like, this is just I just find this absolutely fascinating because it's something we just push under the carpet and don't think about in history. Yeah. So like as you said there in Beastly's, or I hope that's how you pronounce his name yeah. in his autobiography, he even said that Michael Collins didn't have any interest in women really. You know, he wasn't really wasn't a priority for him. Um, and there's also rumors about you know him in London and who what he could have been getting up to in London. Yeah. But now there's also the image of Michael Collins as the playboy who was with a load of people, a load of women when he's in London, who was writing letters to people over in England when he was still with Kitty. Um, and so, like, I think the thing about this argument or discussion or topic is we will never know, yeah. but it's a possibility that Michael Collins was yeah. gay or bisexual. Well, I'll ask you to go off the fence that in a few minutes, but um, the, the kind of what strikes me here is the possibility. Was he bisexual? But that's what I was just going to get yeah. to. Like, you know, it could have easily... And that's not something that would people would have even considered 20 years ago. No. Or at the time. No. Probably wasn't a thing. At the, like, it definitely wasn't a thing no. at the time that it was possible. It was, it was highly illegal at the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you would be... I think, I'm not sure electroshock therapy would have been... But castration would have been a thing uh, yeah, at the well, time. Well, you certainly would have been sent to prison. Yeah. Like, um, uh, who was it? Um, Benedict Cumberbatch plays him in The Imitation Game. Oh, Al, uh, Turing is it Alan Turing Alan Turing yes Turing. yeah who is like codebreaker kind of, yeah, yeah the codebreaker yeah. basically basically invents the first computer yeah and is castrated Chem- yeah chemically the, castrated yeah. for being gay yeah so you can kind of see how something like that would have just been like no 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 no, it's not a thing yeah just don't think about that mm-hmm. look at all the stuff he did for Ireland don't think about that yeah but it is really interesting oh, to think it about. It, it, like, and they say the same thing about Pork Pierce. They reckon Pork Pierce could have been as well. Really? Yeah. And I think there's rumour... Obviously, Roger Casement as well, who's a big figure at this time. He was, was accused of it. He was. Was he? was he? I mean, I think it's fairly certain that he was. Why he ended up in prison was because he was accused of... Um, Paedophilia? Yeah. But, like, there was that was... I mean, you did something on, on him, I think, for a So history. apparently, so he had Roger Case, not to get too much into Roger yeah, Case, yeah. we could do a podcast about him entirely, but his black book was found by the British authorities. And it lost uh, planted, uh, apparently. They reckon that they just planted pages into his diaries about stuff he got up to. Yeah. But they were spying on him in, I think he was in like Norway and New York with someone who they reckon was his boyfriend. Um, and they built a case against him as this sort of, you know... Um, promiscuous uh, paedophile yeah, basically sadist yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that he was yeah unpure or whatever and he ended up yeah. dying in 
like not friendly. to go um this could get cut <laughs> but any of the videos and any of the pictures i see of him he he is somewhat camp <laughs> i'm sorry but like have you ever seen I, I was watching a video of him yesterday i think i actually nearly have it here but i have no wi-fi his manner i don't know what it is but like his mannerism and he's he is impeccably groomed yeah now that's a huge stereotype the, i know but like, like massive stereotype but it's true that he was impeccably groomed yeah and one thing they noted about michael collins when he showed up for the easter rising was that he was in perfect military gear no way he looked perfect yeah uh, whereas other people kind of showed up in rags, like ready yeah. for a fight, he looked, yeah. he was like on point. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like if I'm getting shot, I'm gonna look good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely gonna get cut. Um, yeah, <laughs> just that just last casual thing. bit of homophobia yeah, there, just a slight bit. <laughs> <laughs> nah, is it? No, nah, it's not really homophobia. No, it's just there. It's just, yeah, it's just a, but yeah, I it's know. just, a, I just find it so interesting. I same. It was a moment I remember hearing about this. You said it to me actually, I think we were in fifth year. And younger Sean was like, no, Michael Collins can't be gay. Not a chance. No. Yeah. But the more I'm kind of like, going, I'm like, do you know what? Makes a bit of sense. Mm. There's like, I like, I will, I will get off the fence out in a few minutes. Oh, but um, right. another thing we want to, I want to talk about it, about his image is um, how he's portrayed in what well, I have it down here. Collins is a man who was very much image, image obsessed. He knew his angles. <laughs> 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 which is the fucking truth like any pictures you see of him do you know that wanted poster he's yeah. in most pubs in Ireland yeah yeah and he is just there like the hair slicked back looking into the camera like this you're oh, just he like he looks great god yeah. damn yeah <laughs> fucking hell this fella like yeah this fella knew how to take a photo he did like even when he in the later ones like the one that's hanging above um, in my grandparents house Maybe. he looks fantastic yeah like he is like in impeccably dressed mm-hmm. and he he's kind of looking off the side like this in kind of i don't even notice the cameras there type of fashion yeah yeah look i i think it's this and this is another really interesting thing like i think he knew that he had this kind of celebrity image kind of cult personality thing even at the time um and that shows like he in 1920 21 22 he made headlines across the world because people saw him as this kind of like mysterious irish young fighter dashing dashing fella couple of little yeah. things that i picked out which i found really funny um in 1922 so like he wouldn't have had this massive cult personality that we knew now as we know it today yeah an eight-year-old boy entered a fancy dress competition in england dressed as michael collins no way in 1922 so he's like this kind of celebrity like he, he is like an early Che Guevara. exactly like yeah. you have this image of Che Guevara, he is, he's exactly what when the Cuban Revolution was the sixties, no, and then, and you have this kind of well, counterculture, grow your hair long, yeah. you know, and he fits that image perfectly. That mold, and, and it's I think it's exactly that. Like in nineteen twenties, what is the kind of you know, the thing a young man aspires to be? You know, hard, intelligent, yeah, dashingly good looking, very well dressed soldier, yeah. And he fits that mold again perfectly. And he is like this, you know, this revolutionary that just slips along Dublin. Yeah. Nobody knows what he looks like. On his bike. Yeah. And he's, you know, causing chaos. And I think that's the image of Collins that should be portrayed. More yeah. so than, um, I think in the movie, he's portrayed as being a little bit thick. Yeah. As a little bit kind of... Uh, the fella from Cork. Like, yeah. You know, that's... 
oh, don't be going around riddling people with bullets, that yeah. type of thing. Like, whereas the reality is he was, like we've said again and again and again, he was a fantastic organiser. Mm-hmm. And he was a really... He, he knew how not to be detected. Yeah. Like, his motto was, if you don't act like you're hiding, mm-hmm. nobody's going to be looking for... I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but like, yeah. if, if you don't... If you look like you belong everywhere... Nobody's gonna question what the fuck's your man at. Yeah, like he wasn't sneaking around to buildings. He was cycling through Dublin, mm-hmm. casually. Yeah, with a hat on and a nice suit, and he just looked like he belonged everywhere he went. Yeah, I, I, I really, I think the movie kind of undermines his intelligence yeah. and how smart he was. Yeah. Um, and on the image of of him as like, so obviously there's an image of him as a freedom fighter, soldier. He, as we said earlier, like he he loved his stationery and his like organizing. Apparently, his handwriting was amazing. Um, really good handwriting. Uh, if you wrote him a letter and you had more than one subject in it, he would be very angry. He wouldn't be happy because he wanted one letter, one subject because he's really? a very organized fella. Okay. He needs to be organized. So if you sent him a letter and you're like, firstly, secondly, and here's another. And by the way, Michael, he wouldn't be happy. Like he's very to the point. I want you know, very yeah. well laid out That's letter. one thing I, I heard being said about him that during the, um, he was, a, he loved notes. Mm. He had an upset, like during the war, of, he had an obsession with notes. <laughs> but during the war of independence, he'd be like, he wanted everything taken down in notes, mm. which worked against him because the British then would like, yeah. get the notes. Mm. <laughs> but he's like, just, just fucking love notes. He just wanted to take a few notes. <laughs> he the just fella. wanted notes. <laughs> Um, but like there's the great scene in the movie where he's kind of he has to burn a load of paperwork I reckon that broke his heart oh, to do that. he was already crying sure. look at all the ink I'm after wasting yeah, the good paper <laughs> the good notebook thrown, <laughs> thrown in on top of the fire um, oh god just, just on image actually there was another thing I wanted to you know him being a celebrity at the time when he was alive like in the 20s he was offered like £10,000 by a publisher in London for his memoir and a publisher oh, in New okay. York offered him like £15,000. Yeah. I thought you were about to say he was going to do modelling or something for a magazine. No, no. I like, that, that would have been, been too amazing. much. <laughs> yeah. For his memoir though, yeah. you know, at the yeah. time, publisher in London, New York, want him to write a yeah. memoir, which I don't know, that really fascinated me too, that he was like this, really a celebrity, like like yeah. you said, Che Guevara type person. Yeah. That's exactly what he he was like. It's mad. It's mad. Yeah, it really is. Like, But as we're saying, like what we're trying to get across here is the image that we have them, I think is wrong. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it misses the point mm-hmm. so much. But, um, now we get into a slightly darker one. Mark, Michael Collins, was he going to go down the path of a dictatorship? Okay. But, well, the kind of, the pro for it is, number one is IRB membership, which as we said before, mm-hmm. what I kind of didn't get until quite recently was there seemed to be this feeling among a lot of people that had fought in both obviously the rising and in the uh, war of independence mm-hmm. that they were almost the rightful heirs to power yeah they felt like well, we fought for it mm-hmm. you know it should be a council of us we make the decisions we'll govern ireland yeah we deserve it we fought for it mm-hmm. and a lot of that centered around irb yeah. obviously as we said there their um how would you say it their constitution which obviously there was a falling out over, or very nearly a falling out over yeah. with De Valera. They had it in as that, you know, the president of Ireland is the president of IRB. Mm-hmm. We choose the president of IRB. Therefore, 
we choose the president of Ireland. Yeah. And he was uh, he was the president of the RB at the very end, wasn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm right in thinking that. So there is that kind of as is a member member of that, and he was obsessed with the RB. He believed this thing was yeah. kind of the the gold standard mm-hmm. for republicanism. Um, another kind of in favor of the idea of a dictatorship was the idea the free state free state was kind of claiming it was democracy yeah. in the civil war, but Collins continued to stall on the dull convening but yeah. I think prorogue is the word that I heard used a few mm-hmm. times he kept pushing it out no we won't meet yet we won't meet yet we won't meet yet yeah. where you know turn the other way and going yeah look we're, we're democracy we're, you know, we're the democratically elected mm-hmm. government but we're not going to meet I'm assuming power yeah. type of thing so like obviously up until Arthur Griffith's death he was the president but a lot of people kind of said that even when he moved into commander of the army mm-hmm he was kind of going, I mean, I would like to make the day-to-day decisions here. Yeah. So he was still kind of influencing, like, the way somebody put it was, it wasn't so much that you needed Michael Collins is okay, but things moved a lot faster when you did. Yeah. So, like, when you, when he said, yes, I want to do this, things moved quickly then. Mm-hmm. Another, you hear about this with Dermot Crowley? No. Supreme, he was, I think, the Supreme Court Justice in Ireland at the time. And he basically ruled that how did he put it? That all uh, IRA prisoners, all anti-treaty mm. pre- uh, prisoners that had been arrested without trial or without charge yeah. had to be released okay. and that the doll had to be convened. Mm. He just basically, Collins went and banned the courts at the time. Okay. Which is another kind of, he also uh, suspended habeas corpus and invoked massive censorship. Um, the against then he felt the army had to learn that it was servant, not masters of the people. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say, I, I, well, I'll say about against, now there's a comparison to Abraham Lincoln as well, yeah. who during the American Civil War suspended habeas corpus, massive censorship, mm-hmm. basically banned um, disloyal state legislators. And if you said, no, Lincoln was a dictator, you would be laughed at by most historians. He's seen as the man who saved democracy yeah. in the US. Um so the army, it seemed the, like we said, the uh, obviously we said a few minutes ago his membership in the ARB and the fact that they believe they're the heirs to Ireland. Mm-hmm. But he also seemed to kind of think that no, he he added this belief. I think that no, the people are the heirs, yeah, and the army need to learn that that they are the servants of the people, not the masters of the people. Mm-hmm. Which there was a massive feeling, particularly in the anti-treaty side. Mm-hmm. Like a very deep belief that, you know, who fought for the country gets to rule the country. Yeah. And he seemed to be very against that. And like we said, the Lincoln comparison, I think, in a lot of ways, kind of could cancel out the idea of censorship, mm-hmm. the idea of getting rid of the courts, the idea of uh, suspending habeas corpus. Yeah. So there's definitely a for and against. And we'll get off the fence now in a minute. Um, so we've basically kind of come to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions. First of all, what do you think... Um, actually, Teot, things we just finished. Do you think he was heading the way of a dictatorship? No. No. Okay. Um, and I say so. Obviously, like there, there's as you said there, there's a lot that points to it that he was authoritarian. Yeah. He was authoritarian as the commander in chief of a new country that he was. He kind of knew he he could easily die over because yeah. he said he signed his death warrant when he signed the treaty. Um, so he, I think, he felt that responsibility that he needed to steer the ship. 
um, yes, he put that, you know, he, he didn't want the doll to sit, yeah. but I think he wanted to restore order in the country so the doll could sit and so something as close to democracy as possible could happen. And I think it points to, and it's all hearsay, it's all what could have been. But when W.T. Cosgrave took over as president of the provisional government, he did let the doll sit 20 days after Michael Collins died. Michael Collins didn't want it to sit then, but obviously because there was a leadership vacuum they needed to, to meet. He was elected president. And obviously that government, Cosgrave's free state government, did some pretty bad things, but in order to bring about democracy and peace in the free state. They wanted to disarm the IRB, the, the anti, or the IRA, the anti-treaty IRA, and they did awful things to do that. They killed people without fair trial. Uh, Kevin O'Higgins killed his best man. Um, but in the end, they brought about peace, and there was a peaceful transition of power then in, I don't know, 1927, when Fianna Fáil won the election. Eamon de Valera became pre- President Taoiseach. Um, so they did those bad things in order to get to a point where we could have normality. And I think... The strain of people like Richard Mulcahy, like Cosgrave, like Kevin O'Higgins, they were the people in Michael Collins's close quarters then. And they did kind of what he was doing. But to bring them to that point, if you get me, does that make sense? Yeah. So I think he was, he knew he was teetering on the edge of like human rights abuses and, you know, really unfair things. But it was to get to that point, to get to that stepping stone towards freedom type thing. So Ireland could have its, you know, its day um, when there was peace. Okay. Um, I'd have to say I completely agree with you. Mm. I think um, there was two kind of comparisons I, I saw as, um, you know, obviously Lincoln or Kamal Ataturk of Turkey, okay. who basically, well, Ataturk was exactly the same, was mm. military dictator who, you know, pushed, oh, democracy, democracy, but behind the scenes was yeah. just, you know, controlling the strings of the state, really. Um and I think he'd gone down the road Lincoln. Yeah. I think he seemed to, he understood that, how was it was put now? I mean, my brain is going numb. Um, this idea that, like you said, he, he needed to do the bad shit now in order mm. for there to be some kind of freedom, some kind of open democracy. Yeah. You know, in a period of time. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, the, particularly the incident, I think, with uh, Dermot Crowley, is one that doesn't shine a good light. No. But when you think of what they were up against, like the free or the anti-treaty really outnumbered them yeah. in terms of personnel. So he obviously knew I've got to, I'm going to have to, I, I can't pull punches here mm-hmm. if I want things to ever get back to normal. So yeah, I would agree to you. I don't think he was going down the road of dictatorship. I think he was, like you said, quite close to it. Yeah. But. He did it to save the state. Mm. I think so. He did it for the, he did it for the greater good. Yeah. Um. So next question then. Um. What would Ireland be like had he survived? Yeah, and this is a hard one to get off very the fence with, you know, um, because we will never know. And there's actually very little about but what. What do you think? Okay. So there's very little about Michael Collins. What he yeah. thought politically, like was he a socialist? Was he a market? Was he a free marketeer? Um, you know, what did he think politically? Very little. So it's, it is hard to know, right? Um, I, I honestly have my doubts about how prominent a role he would have played in government. Definitely would have played a prominent role, let's say, in the early 1920s into the early 1930s. But as that kind of strain of people who are involved in the fighting left Irish politics, 
there was, I think, a feeling they wanted to get past it and bring in a new generation of people. And I think you need to look at how Richard Mulcahy, who was obviously a very good friend of Michael Collins, involved in the war. He was the um, chief of staff of the Defence Forces during the Civil War. Um, he was president of Fine Gael, um, I think in like the late 1930s, early 1940s. Obviously it would have made sense for him to be Taoiseach when they entered government. But Clan the Publicta, who are like a Republican party, refused to enter a government with Richard Mulcahy as as Taoiseach because he had those links to civil okay. war, had those links to the War of Independence, and they wanted to move past that. And that's why you had John A. Costello come in as Taoiseach, who wasn't leader of Fine Gael, but he was a compromise because he wasn't involved in the fighting. I feel like something similar could have happened like that oh, with Michael Collins, that he was too closely associated to the violence of the past, to the war, that maybe he wouldn't have played as prominent a role in Irish politics that's one side I see him as um, but then obviously like ideally I'd love to see him as you know someone who didn't have as close relations with the church as Eamon de la Valera did maybe that he was kind of this liberal icon that he went on to be Taoiseach for 20 years then maybe served as president um, but to be honest I just don't know because he was he grew up in Ireland where Catholic dominance was there yeah. he probably would have been was, conservative he right? wasn't very um, Catholic he he only he he went back serving uh, or he went back practicing hmm. on the insistence of Katie Kiernan. Yeah. So like he didn't have that same now like obviously it's a different episode altogether. But like you said there about De Valera, the kind of Catholic run Ireland. Hmm. I wonder how much of that was the need to seem legitimate in the world's eyes. So yeah. like, what's the best way to do that? Fucking get the Catholic Church inside. Yeah. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Like. I'm I'm absolutely like I think that kind of period where it's left its scars in Irish history that mm-hmm. kind of Catholic dominance that you see under De Valera mm-hmm. like and the the amount of censorship and how women's role in 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 our Irish life was thrown back to the fucking Stone Age. Yeah, like but would Collins have done any any different? It's kind of my point. Um, they reckon he wasn't a very big champion of women, for example. He didn't want them on the front line or fighting like other revolutionaries would. he was quite against uh, coming to Bonn yeah and he I think he insisted on being at like executive meetings of coming to Bonn so he knew what they were at like God forbid the women went off and did their own thing you know um, so I, I do and I kind of hate to say it because I love him so much yeah. as, a, as a figure in Irish history I don't think he would have been like this massive reformer that some people like to see I do think Northern Ireland he would have taken a lot more seriously and I think he would have because he wanted to undermine that Northern Irish state, yeah. I think he would have made more gestures to yeah. try and get those counties back. I, I actually think, in a lot of ways, and this is based on nothing more than personal opinion, and there's no, I'd have very little fact to back this up, hmm. but the overtures, the, the moves he was making towards um, Northern Ireland, I think had he continued with that, hmm. it could have gone quite bloody. Yeah. Bloody, like, obviously, look, Northern Ireland was not exactly peaceful for the, <laughs> no. you know, the 50, 60 years afterwards, of course not. However, I think it could have been a lot worse, a lot quicker. Maybe it would have been a case of one massive blowout and after that, you know, people were like, here, we have to kind of get on with things. Mm-hmm. But I I think in a weird way, maybe the North was best left alone. Yeah. Like, obviously, I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to get fucking serious, <laughs> serious abuse for this, like, but... Um, <laughs> Obviously, the way Catholics were treated in Northern Ireland was appalling, yeah. particularly in the short term, which isn't talked about. Like there was pogroms, mm-hmm. like almost as soon as the um, 
the treaty was signed. Yeah. Almost as soon as the truce was signed. Mm-hmm. Like, there was serious violence. But I think what could have happened was it could have nearly gone the other way. Yeah. And you could have seen, like, you know, how would you put it? Far right levels of violence against Protestants. Mm. Like, I, I just think there could have been serious reprisals if the North had come under the power of yeah the Republic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if you had, like, there was, a, obviously, there was there's areas within the North where the Catholics dominant, and they were obviously um, put down. But an entire United Ireland at that point with fucking vengeance on its mind yeah could have been fucking bloody yeah like it was in the south when they kind of burned down the con- the country homes of yeah like, big landowners yeah and stuff. It, it could have been like it could very much have been that like I also think I think he would have veered very much away from socialism he was ad- he abhorred it he hated it yeah he, like, he did say to someone I can't remember who it was but um once we have independence, the next thing we'll have to fight is the Bolsheviks. Yeah. Uh, so he, he was very of communism. Very against it. Like, he, um, there was something, there was a, a plan for Irish government, I can't remember, that somebody remember I, I heard remarking that James Connolly would have been proud of. The democratic programme, I'd say. My, yes, first, that was yeah. it, exactly, thank you. And Connolly kind of came in and was like, no. Yeah. And kind of changed it and made it very, very unsocialist. Yeah. He also seemed to be very much a... a um, where De Valera kind of had this idea of inward, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try and make ourselves self-sufficient. Yeah. He seemed to be like, nah, fuck that. We, we can't do that. Yeah. And he seemed, one of the things I heard him say, he wanted to make Ireland a country that set its, its price for its goods mm-hmm. and then was a, a, an exporting country. Yeah. Which is what we are. Which is say. what we are now, which yeah. is what we're pushing for now. So maybe he, he got that quicker. Mm. But I think, um, and we'll get onto it in a second. I think, but uh, what is his most lasting impact? Do you think on Irish history? Oh, that's a big one. I know. Wow, we're asking the big questions here. Today. Okay, so like, obviously, if Michael Collins didn't exist, would we have won the war? Uh, it's it's hard to say. Obviously, hard to say either way. But I think like he was instrumental in that war effort. So I think obviously to give him that respect before I move on. I think winning the war, his involvement in the war, and bringing us to where we are today uh, and where we were with the Free State, Free State, that's obviously his biggest achievement. Like he was kind of one of the fathers, if not the father, of Ireland we know today. Um, so that I think is his biggest achievement. Modern Ireland, like thinking about his his impact now, I think it's his legacy more so than anything. Like what, like who he was or who he, what his legacy is today. I think himself if that makes sense it's not very articulate but like How do you mean? there's so many people who want to claim him as their own yeah. and say like i remember hearing people say like oh michael collins wouldn't have you know bailed out the banks yes I've heard or michael that, yeah. collins wouldn't you know take a ministerial two hundred twenty thousand wage people like to claim him as their own kind of idealized version of ireland yeah. um Sinn fein would like to claim him because he was a member of Sinn fein Fine Gael would love to claim him, even though, like, we can't know for sure he would have joined Fine Gael. Yeah. Uh, Fianna Fáil obviously wouldn't, but there's this sort of, like, I think his biggest legacy is how people like to idealise him and use him as okay, yeah, what could have been in a very yeah. romantic way, but I mean, in reality, like... Yeah. How, co- yeah, go on. Like, I think we need to be, like, as much... And I love Michael Collins, but I think we need to be wary of using p- historical figures 
for our own kind of satisfaction yeah. or like romanticism. Well, while I have you on that, I'll ask you the next question and I'll come back and answer in a second. Mm. Do we need to think of Michael Collins as great? Like as a country, do we have this need? Like, you know, the life-size picture hanging over the fireplace. Do we need this? Like, have we this kind of, considering, you know, De Valera lived and De Valera was incredibly divisive as a politician, yeah. as most politicians are. Mm-hmm. There, I don't think there should ever be a politician that is unanimously loved by everyone. I think that's, you know, yeah. it's a dictatorship. It's, it's yeah. not a good thing. But I think, do we need then to have this almost, like we were saying a few minutes ago, this um, Che Guevara-esque figure? Yeah. You know, like you said, everybody tries to claim him. Mm. Do we have some kind of need? I, I don't think, like... I think we need to remember what he did and his impact on the country um, and have respect for that because he does represent, like, what he did represents, you know... I mean, without him, we wouldn't have an Ireland as we know it today, and I do think that. So we need to respect that or remember him from that and appreciate him for that. Um, But I do think, like... And it's with historical figures in general. I think we need to, like... I see both sides of him. And re- relax ourselves a bit. Yeah. And look at... Which is what I'm trying to do with this podcast. It's like, why I've noticed a lot, particularly about guys like um, Michael Collins, yeah. there's two sides completely to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are kind of taught, I think, in in Irish history, um, the greatness of them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the, the historic... Like I said, I keep going back to it. The life-size picture over the fireplace. Yeah. This kind of deity-like figure. Mm-hmm. Where in reality... He was somebody who, in my opinion, who was quite arrogant, mm-hmm. who was very much image image obsessed, yeah, and whose arrogance got him killed. Mm. Like at the end of the day, it di- like it did. Like like I I do have a love a love for him, particularly his um how he set up. Like I think the nineteen sixteen rising, you know, as heroic as it fucking was, was the biggest waste of lives. Mm. Like realistically without the war of, like okay you could say it inspires the war of independence mm-hmm. but like kind of blood sacrifice yeah i i don't buy that i don't know mm-hmm. i i i think i i think it'd be much better served if they if they had got gone for collins's approach i know obviously he didn't think of it without the war the 16 mm-hmm. rising but if he'd done that earlier yeah. you get independence earlier i think his tactics that he used were fantastic we're years ahead of anything that, like, he sets the foundation for insurgencies and revolutions and rebellions yeah. for the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. And, the, what, like, I think that's fantastic. But at the same time, there's the other side of him, which is, you know, there's an argument. I know we both disagreed with, but there's an argument to be made that he could have been a dictator. Yeah. There's an argument to be made that his his stupidity got him killed. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like I don't I I know you have a feeling of assassination. Mm-hmm. I think it was pure and utter chance. You know, not even chance. I think it was just like he seemed to think he was fucking invincible. Yeah. Which obviously, you know, six or seven pints will do that to you. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. you know, yeah. I, there's just there's two sides to it. I, yeah. And like you said, it's really important. I think, particularly with historical figures like Collins, that you kind of go. Ah, uh, he was great, but yeah, and you need to, like, you need to try and understand who he was and what he did. You know, it's not as simple as the fella in the wall with a military uniform on. You know, try and look at who he was, what he what he did, what he what believed he stood in. for. Yeah, um, and like 
you know, Michael Collins would be known if it wasn't for the people around him. You know, completely. The young yeah. fellas he sent out on the streets of Dublin to shoot people when yeah. he wasn't shooting people. Yeah. Um, Jesus, we wouldn't have Ireland if it wasn't for them people. Yeah. You know? and we and don't have ma- pictures of them on the wall. No, and how many? Yeah, exactly. Like are the boys that killed the Cairo gang. How yeah. many of their names are are known? Exactly. I, I couldn't name the twelve apostles. Yeah. If you asked me to know. And but they were they were instru- as much as we say yeah, Michael Collins completely. instrumental. Yeah. Like if they didn't pick up like, guns and do it. Um, Arthur Griffith said in the treaty or the treaty debates in the Dole Michael Collins is the man that won the war no he was the man that I think made the biggest without whom how would you say it he probably had the biggest contribution Mm -hmm. of any of the key historical figures at that time yeah bigger I think influence than De Valera Mm -hmm. than Mulcahy than O'Connor yeah however he didn't win the war yeah he wasn't out like like uh, Tom Barry, I think it was. Yeah. Described him as I have his quote here, which is fucking <laughs> hilarious. He's no good, Tom Barry suggested, <laughs> because he never shot a man in his life. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, which maybe says more about Tom Barry, I think, <laughs> than anything else. But um, you know, like he didn't win the war. Yeah. He was instrumental, in it, but he didn't win the war. He didn't. Yeah. He wasn't out. You know. Like, if he assassinated each member of the Cairo gang, I'd be like, mm, okay, you know, there's yeah. an argument there. Mm. He did a lot of killing himself, but no, he was instrumental. But, um, and I think um, his biggest, like, I actually probably agree with him after fucking opening Minecraft. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I actually probably agree with you. I think his, his, his biggest impact to, in Irish politics was his image. Yeah. And, and I do think we have this weird need we almost need a hero yeah. in Irish politics. Mm-hmm. I think the next, you know, really the next fucking 70 years in Ireland was pretty fucking bleak. Yeah. Like, you know, you had Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil switching power, no, neither of them really ever getting any kind of major prosperity. Mm. You know, it's only kind of around the 90s you see things start to pick up. Yeah. And we only have that for fucking 10 years till the crash. So, yeah. you know. And, yeah. I, I think, like, you know, De Valera, his image, whatever you think of him, for a lot of people, is ruined. If you're not a devout Fianna Fáil supporter, yeah. you look at De Valera like, you know, he brought he brought us back to the Stone Age <laughs> yeah, to yeah. seem legitimate as a government. Mm-hmm. So I think we do. I think we need, we have this weird need to, to see Collins as the Liam Neeson, like, I think the Liam Neeson interpretation of him is like what we as Ireland almost want a hero to be. Yeah. Kind of, you know, brave, Good looking, dashing, but you know, not into all that politicking. And, yeah. you know. Versus he was. Like. Yeah, he was like, should, we kind of paid him out with who's a simple man, but he did what he did. Yeah. Which is not the case. He no. was a really intelligent man. Mm-hmm. He was a very particular man. He was a man that, you know, probably would annoy the fuck out of you if you worked for him. Yeah. Like, there's things where he used to fall out all the time with different people he worked for. And difficult he used to, fella, like. Very difficult mm. fella. And the name, the big fella, is as much criticism as it is mm. appraising like oh he's acting the big fella yeah yeah is a, is a thing I'd have been told mm. you know as a young that. fella yeah, I'd have been yeah. told that as a young fella you're acting yeah. the big fella now mm. you know so there was a kind of a mm-hmm. there's two sides to it yeah so I, I just think I think that's really important um, uh, second last question <laughs> was Michael Collins gay ah uh, look <laughs> in your own personal opinion ah uh, Jesus sure we, we'll <laughs> never know like you know we, we can't know for you, sure what do you think I would say all evidence considered there's a strong possibility that he was perhaps maybe bisexual okay or gay 
Okay. Um, and I think what the most interesting thing for me is that we'll, we, we'll never know yeah. because this is not a side of history that's never been uh, respected or thought about too much. Um, and obviously at that time would have been completely brushed under the carpet yes. if it was true. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it's something I'd, like, I'd love to read a book about it. Yeah. I, I'd love to watch a documentary is, is about it. Is there a book? It. Does your man Beastly have a book on it? Well, he has just an, a general biography of Michael Oh, okay, Collins. right. And there's a chapter or something, is there? Like, it, it's a, I'd say it's a sentence. Oh, right. You know? So it's like kind of a footnote or yeah. like an end, or a sentence. David, love, uh, David and I are still alive. Yeah. He should write a book on that. He should, definitely. Uh, and Pork Pierce, these like... Yeah massive icons that we see and the gay icon podcast yeah <laughs> Dave, gonna, David Norris on. considered that one. Yeah. <laughs> David on, Norris David. can come on for as a guest yeah. if David Norris is listening we will have you on I'd love to have him on yes be fucking gas but yeah I, I think I agree with you I think definitely points towards like there's evidence there that he's bisexual I don't know if gay yeah I think there's there, like there's evidence that suggests that he wasn't interested in women particularly yeah. in London he was yeah. he was you know doing bits in London yeah. and uh he was had letters yeah. as well with the women, so I so, do think he. I, I would yeah. say, my fingers. If I had to give an answer, I would say that he was perhaps bisexual. Okay, I'd probably agree with you that mm. as well. Um, so, very last question off the fence: Should Michael Collins be considered an icon? I'm just going to jump off the fence and say yes straight um, away. Definitely. Look, he even from, despite the fact the dictator stuff, despite the fact, yeah, you still think he should be flaws. Um, everything considered, I think what he did to get Ireland's freedom to set up the intelligence network that he did, um, to even build, uh, as maybe untrue as it was, to build that you know image of himself, very crafty politician, very crafty propagandist, um, I think that deserves recognition in his own right as an icon. And look, I think just a side note as well, you know, with history and with politics, I think it's a lot about, um, as much as it is skill and intelligence, it's about luck and events as well. I think he got very lucky with how things planned out for him. You know, if the signatures weren't executed, he could have been an end note in Irish history. And yeah. um, if he got executed when he was arrested after 1916, he wouldn't have gone anywhere. I think luck and events play a yeah. huge part in what his yeah. career was. Yeah. But yes, he was an icon. And I really, I still look to him as someone who, you know, built Ireland and had good ideas about how our country can move forward. So, yeah. So what, what about yourself, Sean? Do you, do you think he was an icon? <laughs> what do you think? Um, yeah, I do. I think... Uh, I think the flaws in my mind almost make him more of an icon. Mm. In that, like, it makes him more human. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I've kind of... I, I, like, I am fucking sick to the back teeth of looking at Michael Collins stuff at this stage, so I won't be reading or looking at anything <laughs> about him for a while. But... Um, I definitely think he's an icon. I I think it it the him seeming more human mm. to me makes makes me like him more. Yeah, like it it kind of brings him down off the the fire out of the picture of the fireplace. He seems like an actual part. Like I'd, I always had this idea up until probably up until this podcast that he was some kind of deity. Yeah, he like because that's how he's painted as. But in reality, he was, you know. A very complicated fella. The complicated fella. Like everyone though, right? Yeah, exactly. Which I, I think is kind of a thing to take away from this. He isn't a god. He isn't a, you know, yeah. a, some kind of mystical figure. He is a human who had a heap of flaws, yeah. as I'm sure everyone does. And 
um, was instrumental. It, like like I said already, instrumental in in achieving independence for Ireland. Mm-hmm. Like I think without him, that fight, if you left it to like the Air Mulcahy and some of the stuff they wanted to do, yeah. that fight is ten years longer. Mm. It's the thirties before there's any kind of independence. He made life like I keep coming back to the idea of the guerrilla warfare. He made life so unbearable mm-hmm. for British presence in Ireland. They're like, you know what? It's not worth the fucking hassle. Yeah. Which is a funny thing. I think people have this idea in their head that, you know, oh, we brought the British to their knees. No, we just annoyed the fuck out of them until yeah. they got sick of us. Yeah. That's what they decided. They, the they were just like, lads, do you know what? Have it. Yeah. Go on. It's grand. <laughs> I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely like him. Nice. So, uh, I think we'll leave that there. I want to give a massive thanks to Luke for sitting here and talking to Michael Collins for an hour and a half. It's been an um, honour, Sean. It's oh. an absolute pleasure. <laughs> You'd, you could talk about him and you could go into much greater detail. I know we kind of skimmed over the Civil War and the War of Independence um, and the treaty negotiations. The Nor- We skimmed over a lot of stuff, but we could be here another hour More talking probably. about yeah. you know the entire life of Michael Collins. So we'll leave it there, folks. I want to give a massive thank you to Lou Cassidy once again for joining me for this one. And also a huge shout out to Mr. Kieran Reen for the music that you heard at the top of the show. I tell you, it's, it's great to have such talented friends. It really is. Um, if we got anything wrong in this episode or if there's something that piqued your interest, you want to get in touch, you can hit us up at the underscore dead underscore icons underscore podcast on Instagram. And lastly, I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. This is it, folks. The Dead Icons podcast is officially up and running. Here we go. It's going to be a massive year. And honestly, I can't wait for it. We have so much stuff in store. There will be a main monthly episode where we'll take a guy like Michael Collins or I don't want to give away who we have the next couple of months, but a historical figure and we, we go through their life and we do the, we get the off the fence. Are they an icon? Are they not? Um, but then every second or third week there will be a smaller episode where maybe a topic that didn't get covered in as much detail as I'd have liked gets its you know gets its time in the spotlight and that, that would probably be from Michael Collins we'll be looking at Northern Ireland during the the Civil War and during the War of Independence there we're also working on a series on the Irish Mafia which is going to be out later in the year and i'm honestly so excited for everybody to hear that as well but for now that's all for me um and all that's left to say is good luck and god bless